Good morning, church. Yeah, I I echo, uh, you know, what my wife said about uh, packing the shoe boxes. I know for for us, it's a big deal as a family, and it it does. It teaches uh, the children. It teaches us, too. I mean, the Bible is clear. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You're better off being a blessing than, than trying to just receive blessings all the time because God is trying to forge something in our hearts to make us self, uh, less self-absorbed. I mean, you see the headlines. You guys know what's going on around the world. It's no secret. There's people hurting everywhere. There's people that don't have the means that we have. If you woke up and took a shower this morning, you're rich. You're rich in Christ because you're saved, but the fact that you took a shower and you got fresh running water, you had a clean towel, you had soap to clean your body so you didn't come up in here stinky. I mean, I'll, whether you're stinky or not, I don't care. But what I'm saying is if you had, if you had nourishment to, to put in your body to sustain you this morning, a bowl, a, a bowl of Cheerios, you know, oatmeal, whatever it was. I mean, we're over here. We, we buy little goodies every, every week that are just out in the foyer. I mean, there's people that don't have that. They don't have the luxury of like, well, this is something I don't have to have, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have it if I want to. Or, you know, I go get, you know, I don't drink coffee anymore. But if you do coffee or if you are able to go out to eat or again, if you just you have a roof over your head, you got you got clothes that, that don't have holes in it. Uh, not because it's a fashion statement, but you, you have clothes that work, that function. You're rich. And there's so many people that are lacking basic necessities right now. If you have checked the headlines, what's going on, and we know it's prophetic, what's going on in Gaza. I mean, they don't got none of that right now, you know. And so we need to ask ourselves, how can we be a blessing? Not only prayerfully praying for people, but tangibly How do we actually get in the game and do something to be effective for the ministry of Jesus Christ? Amen. Because it's either you're in the game or you're just on the sideline. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a Christian on the sideline, you're probably miserable because no Christian worth their salt is going to sit on the sideline and watch life pass them by. Watch the ministry of Christ pass them by when he's given you breath and life to do so much. So, you know, uh, just... Be encouraged to do your part. Amen. So uh, Friday night, um, me and my wife, we uh, attended a a funeral. Uh, One of her uncles passed away uh, about a a week or so ago. And uh, my wife was asked to speak at this uh, at this funeral. And, you know, um, it was it it was it was a it was a sober reminder uh, to me. It made me think of Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verses two and three. It says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. And what that basically translates to is it's it's a it's a reality that we all have to acknowledge. Many times we go through life and, and and people do all they can to block out death. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anybody to speak about it. But because of the fallen nature of, of sin that is ingrained in us, that's something that we're all going to have to experience. And so it's it's encouraging to know you want to know beforehand where you're going. <laughs> 
you don't want to be on your deathbed and be questioning what's my eternal state like. I don't know what's going on. You want to be on your deathbed and you want to have the biggest smile on your face. I know it's going to be grievous because you're, you're leaving loved ones, but you're having such a fresh revelation of who Christ is, of who Father God is, and you know you're going to be with him for eternity that this shell can't hold you anymore and, and, and your, your, your last day is your best day. You don't want to be someone who's holding on to this world when you're about to die. When your soul's about to exit out of your body, you don't want to be someone that's holding on to here because you didn't know who Christ was and you denied him and you didn't have a relationship. And so you're holding on to the only thing you know, which is this world that's going to dwindle away and die anyways. So it was a sober reminder to me of how short this life is. We heard Pastor Nick talk about it last week. We think we got more time than we have. We think that we just got eons of time, and especially young people. They're like, well, I'm young. I got all the time in the world. Let me tell you, you got today. Today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Salvation is today. Today the Lord saw fit to raise all of us from our sleep and allow us to live another day. But we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what the rest of today holds. Have you ever had a situation where you woke up super happy, super excited, everything was great, you had, a, you had praise on your lips, you had joy in your heart, and then something happens down the road in the, in, in, during the course of the morning or the afternoon, and all of a sudden everything changes. You had that experience? That's life. And so that's why moment to moment, you and I need to cling to God. We need to cling to Jesus Christ. He should be first. He needs to be number one in our lives. And even though it was, it, it, it was a grievous experience going to that funeral, I was so encouraged that Jesus was the center Christ was the focus, not even the man that passed away. Yes, he, people were there to, to, to grieve his death. But the fact that that man was seeking the Lord and, and, and the fact that Christ was preached and, and Christ was put out there as the, the only means of salvation, the only means to, 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 to make someone whole, the only means to comfort people in the time of loss, that was super encouraging to me. I was like, this is what it's about. It's almost like a, a marriage vow in sickness and in health. What do you do? You should be praising God. You should be looking to the Lord in all things. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. This morning we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Uh, we'll be going through verses 4 through 7. I love taking little chunks at a time. I could spend three days on this portion of Scripture, but I'll only spend about... 50, 50 minutes. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> but this message is entitled, Keep Your Vows and Fear God. So when you get there, if you can, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word if you're able to. Again, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 4 down through 7. And it reads, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. 
Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We thank you for the entirety of your Bible. But we we thank you for where you have us today. Lord, there is something very important for us all to glean from today. We all come in with different circumstances. We all come in with, with different things that we've gone through, that we've battled throughout this week. But Father, I pray that you would empty us of ourselves right now, that you would fill us supernaturally with the person of the Holy Spirit, and that you would bless us with your anointing, that we would have a, a unique ability through you to understand your word, that we would be able to rightly divide this text, that we would be able to understand clearly what you are speaking to each and every Every single one of us, because your word is active, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts to the bone and the marrow, it gets to the heart of every situation that we'll ever face. So Father, bring us fresh fresh revelation of who you are and what you would have for us today, and give us the encouragement to live it out, Father. We thank you and we praise you in no other name but the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Today, we're going to look at the importance of keeping the vows that you and I make before the Lord and the negative and positive impact on whether or not we keep those vows will have on our lives. We will learn about the value of holding our tongues and how to think critically constructively, productively think before we make any kind of rash decisions. We'll also see that a healthy, holy fear of Yahweh God is what helps us from making poor choices in the first place. A healthy fear of God, a holy fear of God will help us to make wise decisions all the days of our lives. Amen. The first main point is this. We must learn to never be careless in what we promise to God. You see, to make a vow before God is a serious matter. It's not simply just doing something off the cuff just because you feel like it. Like if I want to get... A drink from the loop, it's not like that. It ain't just like, well, I'm just, I just wanted that, so I'm just going to do it. It's not an emotional response made in the moment. Sometimes, uh, you know, people have uh, an encounter in the church house and they hear a pastor speak and, and, and they're responding emotionally. And then two, three weeks later, that emotions wore off and they're nowhere to be found. And maybe that's just where they're at in their, in their, in their you know, getting watered to to get saved. So I'm not saying that someone that goes through that can't get saved. But what I'm talking about is when you make a vow to God, it's not it's not just a knee jerk reaction. It's not just an emotional response, because how many of us know that emotions wear off? You know, a lot of people think they're in love, but it's just infatuation and infatuation lasts about 24 months. And that's usually around the time where people get divorced. They're all good, infatuated. They think it's love. 
You see, we have to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit and not by our emotions. Many people are so led by their feelings. I think this, I feel this, and it can feel strong. But you know that strong feelings can come from your flesh and from Satan, right? We serve God out of obedience. I know that's not a popular word in our world today, but I'm still sticking to the word of God. We serve the Lord out of obedience, not out of emotion. How many of you know there's going to be days where you don't feel like doing the right thing? You better do it because you know the right thing to do. Didn't hear a lot of amens, but that is the truth. Okay. You see, making a vow before God is something that should always, church, be carefully prayed about and considered before making that commitment. In all actuality, the level of seriousness that you and I take with the vows that we make before Father God will actually trickle down to the commitments that we make with one another. Simply put, if you and I are not serious about our commitment to Jesus Christ, it's highly unlikely that you and I will be serious about other commitments that we make with people. Again, it's in order. So if you're not real with God, you're probably not going to be real with people. You're just going to be a mouthpiece talking, a salesman, jiving people, selling people a fake bag of goods. An example of this, and, and I'm guilty of this. We all, we're all guilty of this. We've all done this at some point. We make a simple commitment to somebody, right? We say, oh, oh yeah, uh, you know, I'll be here at a certain time. I'll meet you there. Or bro, I'll pick you up at 4.30. I'll be there, I promise. I'm going to be there. <laughs> but what happens? <laughs> we fail on our end. Something comes up <laughs> and, we, and we don't make it. I mean, unless somebody's dying, there's really no reason to, 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 to not make the commitment. But we've done it. We've left somebody hanging. We said we were going to be somewhere. We said we were going to do something and we didn't come through on our end. But you see, if we first were careful about what we vow to God, we would in turn be more likely to be trustworthy when we interact with other people. Within the body of Christ, we should never stray away from this standard of integrity. We should be the ones, the church, the saints of God should be the ones that are trustworthy. We should be the ones that people can count on and rely on. When we give our word, it should be our word. It shouldn't be like we're backtracking all of a sudden because we didn't count the cost. We learned about that last week. Who counts the, who doesn't count the cost and then tries to build a building and realizes I don't have enough money to make this building or who goes to war before counting the cost and realizing I don't have enough men to fight. I'm going to lose. We have to be wise and think about what we do before we let our mouths start speaking and get ourselves into trouble that we should have never been in in the first place. Those who live a lifestyle of trustworthiness are walking circumspectly in all situations. We're aware. We're alert. We're conscious of what's going on. We're not dead men and women walking. We're not just blindly walking into situations. Now, I'm not saying be scared because the Bible is clear. It is an offense to God to be fearful. You are to be courageous. I am to be courageous. 
At the same time, while being courageous, we don't, we shouldn't be on autopilot. We need to be cognitively thinking. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit, being aware of what's going on around us and even in our own hearts, asking the Lord to show us, asking the Lord to to give us revelation, give us wisdom of what's happening so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling upon our lives. Amen. Living above reproach and keeping the commitments and promises we make to God and then to others. This is exactly why we need to do it, church. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. You know, a lot of people like to talk about homosexuality and saying that's that's an abomination to God, and it is. Same-sex relations are an abomination. But that's not the only abomination. Look at what Proverbs chapter 12 just said. It said lying lips. (laughs) Lying lips. If you lie, that you're being an abomination to God. How, how, How much do you think that grieved God's heart? When he's like, man, I gave my only son to die in your place to redeem you and save you. And here you go lying. This is something that we're going through in my household that we're teaching over and over and over and over again. You know, when children are children, they lie about just anything, dumb stuff. And, I, and I'm trying to, and I am, we're teaching that you don't got to lie about that. I want you to be able to come to me and be so secure in your relationship with me that you can tell me anything. Don't, don't lie about how much gum you, you put in your mouth. That's silly. If you put five pieces in your mouth, just say, man, I put five pieces of gum in my mouth and then we'll deal with that. But you're lying about stuff that's silly. But you know what's even worse when, you, when, when you're 55 years old and you're lying about stupid stuff, like we shouldn't be lying. The, the fact that we lie shows that we don't have the right kind of fellowship with God that we need. We are, we are acting in the way of Satan because Satan is the father of lies. And so if we don't identify with Satan, we shouldn't identify with his qualities. We identify with Father God. We identify with the Holy Spirit. We identify with Jesus Christ. Lying is not on their lips. And so it's very interesting when you look at the other part of that verse. He does say, if you act faithfully, you actually are his delight. I love how God God has to because he's, he's perfect. So he has to show you this is wrong. And then he has to show you, but in turn, this is good. So we need to be wise and pick the right. Because do, do you realize, isn't that a trip? That's a trip to me. That, that I, I can actually be a, a delight to God. He actually can delight in me. You see, if you live right and if you act faithfully, you are actually delightful to Father God. That's amazing. He's already perfect. He doesn't need anything. He don't need you. He don't need me. But yet he can delight in you because you choose to live an upright lifestyle. Man, that's amazing. Man, that's amazing. That's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm so grateful that that's a reality. The second main point is this. All believers must guard their hearts. That's your innermost being. From out of it, the mouth speaks. Many of us are familiar with this verse. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of 
the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But do we truly understand what this means? This is a question that I've had to ask myself all week long. And even before this, I mean, I ask myself this all the time, and I hope that you do as well. But today, what's stored up within your heart? What's in your innermost being? What's taking up all the residence in who you are? I'm I'm talking about when nobody's looking, right? They say that's integrity. Integrity is what you do when nobody's looking, not when the camera's on, not when the lights are flashing, not when you're in front of a bunch of people publicly. What are you and I doing when nobody's there but you and God? Is it Jesus Christ and the things of God that is stored up in your heart? Or is it the things of this world? And how can you actually tell what's really in your heart? It's been said, a good way to see what you're full of is when you get bumped, it'll spill over. <laughs> so, you know, something happens. I talked about, you know, your, your day starts off great. You're, you know, praise on your lips, joy in your heart, man. You, you get some bad news or something happens. Somebody cuts you off. If you automatically put up a middle finger and if are you automatically muttering or maybe yelling cuss words out of your mouth because somebody cuts you off and it happens all the time because we live in the Bay Area and you're going to get cut off at least three or four times just going to work, probably eight times in total on, you know, a round trip, then that, then that's, then that's kind of what you're full of. You know, I, I'm at a place and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just sharing with you. I'm at a place now where people cut me off and, and even though in my flesh, I, I, I want to react in an angry way. I just say, God bless you. I just say, Lord bless them, you know, because it's like, it, it, what, what does it do you any good when you, when you feed into that negativity? The fact that, okay, I got cut off, but I didn't get in a fender bender. Nobody got in an accident. That's a miracle. That's a blessing. Because that person could have easily cut me off. And now, you know, next thing you know, I'm in, I'm in a, a pileup. You know, I don't know where it was, somewhere down south or whatever. It was earlier this week. Uh, there was a 150-car pileup. You guys see that? 150 car pile up, man, you know, on some interstate. I don't know what interstate it was, but it was one southern state. And uh, that's what I'm saying. Louisiana. Louisiana, like this, like this, like the flick of a light switch. Everything can change, you know, but 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 we find out what what's in us when we're bumped, <laughs> when, when things don't go the way we want them to go. We find out what we're full of. Take an honest assessment of how you spend your time. You see, church, whatever you spend the majority of your time doing, that is what is abundantly in your heart. You can wish it away. You can tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. You still got to do business with God. I still got to do business with God. Whatever you spend the majority of your time doing, that is what your heart is filled with. So if you spend the majority of your time engaging with people, being a blessing. Now, I'm not saying be perfect. I'm saying being a blessing, fellowshipping with God through through prayer. And and we know that the Bible says that, that to pray without ceasing. So we should always have communication with God. You should be talking to God throughout the day. And you don't necessarily have to be on your knees. And maybe in the privacy of your home, you can be on your knees in that posture because that is important. It's a, it's a sign of humility. But you can be on your job talking to God. 
I'm always talking to the Lord. I'm in the bathroom, man. I'm talking to the Lord, this and that. I'm in my car. I'm talking to God. I'm over here. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm with my wife. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm with my kids. I'm always talking to the Lord. And he's always, you notice, the, the more and more that you grow in your maturation in Christ. We were just talking about this in prayer this morning. It's not like you got to wait 30 minutes for God to respond. I mean, it's a conversation. I talk and he talks back. He's sharing things with me. And it's things I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm like, things with this message that it was, it was all the Lord preparing this week. I mean, not that it's never not, but it, I just becoming more aware of it. But it's so subtle. It's not like me up here yelling. <laughs> He's so subtle. He's so calm. He's such a gentleman. That if you're in tune, you will hear from God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't say God is going to draw near to you. It says you do it and then he'll come through. You know what I'm saying? We were just talking about this earlier too, about faith. Many times we want God to activate. We want God to do this. We want God to do that. And he's like, where's your faith? Go already. Go do it. Do it even when you can't see it. Do it when you don't even feel like it. Again, we, church, we got to get out of this thing of emotion. Emotions are good. They have their place. But don't live your Christian life based on your emotions. That's so fickle, and you're going to be so in a whirlwind. We have to get this down in our inner person that we serve God out of obedience. That's why, there's, that's why we're cut from a different cloth. That's why there's not so many people that are trying to ride it out like this, especially in this time period, because it's so much easier to go with your flesh than to go with the spirit. Because the, we have to understand, church, the, the flesh and the spirit are, are contrary to one another. They don't like what one another like. The flesh wants all the cravings. The spirit wants the things of God. And it's not an emotional thing. Many times your walk may seem or feel dry with God, but that's just because that's your flesh. <laughs> when in all actuality, you're, 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 you're being built up in your inner man or your inner woman, and you're being able to be sustained by the word of God who is God, despite what you see. Look at the children of Israel. They complained about the manna. Something that should have took two weeks took them 40 years to get through. And because they were there for 40 years, do you think that they grumbled and complained about having the same food over and over? They did. But you see, in their spirit, if they were in tune, they would have been grateful. They would have understood, okay, this is the process and I'm not, I'm not going to be subjected to my flesh and what my flesh is saying. My flesh is saying I want a, tom a tomahawk steak right now, but all I'm getting is these, these, these sugar cakes from heaven. But yet, it's, we should not be governed by our flesh. So again, spending time in prayer is what I was trying to get to. And, and engaging with the people of God, engaging with people, even if they're not saved, but just sharing, radiating the love of Jesus Christ to the people around you, being a blessing, then that's what shows you and reveals to you that that's what's in abundantly in your heart is Jesus Christ. But you see, if you and I spend the majority of our time pleasing ourselves and only doing what's beneficial for us, and we rarely talk about God, and we rarely talk to God, and we rarely read his word. We, we don't even like the idea of studying his word. It's like drudgery. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to get in the word? What? I graduated high school 30 years ago. I thought I wasn't going to have to read again. 
God's made it so easy for you nowadays. You don't even have to. I mean, I still suggest study the word of God line by line, precept by precept. There's something about the, what happens to your whole body and your mind and, and metaphysically and spiritually when you actually get in the book and read it. But if you must, press play. Use your ears. Listen to the audio. I mean, it'll still get down in there. Faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God. So at the very least, play the Bible app and listen to the word. But sometimes we're so spiritually lazy, we don't even do that. If we're doing all these things, we're only self-seeking. We're only about ourselves. We're only about our own endeavors. We don't, we're not even tripping off how we can bless anybody else. We're only thinking about me, 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 I, I, I. Then it's likely that selfishness and worldliness is abundant in your heart. Church, we have to be aware of what's in our heart. If you and I aren't aware of what's in our heart, we're, we're in a horrible place. We can easily get out of it, but in or it's like it's like it's like uh, what is the the Google Maps and on Siri and all that? What is the first thing they tell you when they're trying to reroute you? Where is your destination? The AI says, "Where are you?" And they got the tracking device on us on the phone, so they know where we're at. And then they say, "Okay, to get to seventeen fifty nine Sunny Hills Drive, you got to go this way." So spiritual, spiritually wise, you and I have to first identify where we are at, so we can get to where we need to go. But a lot of us, we don't even know where we're at. We got to love ourselves enough to want to invest in our lives, to want to invest in our relationship with God. Don't, 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 don't live the kind of Christian life that's just like on autopilot, church, because that's not how we, it's not what we were made for. We were made to go levels in this thing. You know what I mean? You feel me, though, for real? We're supposed to go levels in this thing. Like, I, I'm not where I was 10 years ago. And, and Lord willing, I'm not, if I live 10 more years, I'm not, I'm not going to be where, I, where I'm at right now then. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to grow stronger. I'm trying to be more mature. I'm trying to do more good. And that should be our hearts. Don't ever settle for the status quo in Christianity. Again, I say this every week. It's not about just this. This is like the huddle in football. Get the game plan. Get out of this building and get to it. Live it out. Live a, live a life of righteousness from Christ to the world around you to see. And get involved. Rub shoulders. Rub elbows with people. Get engaged in the warfare. Because you stand for the kingdom of God and people are dying out there. They don't even know what they need, but you can show them, hey, man. I was like you, but now I'm not. And, and this is why. And then you point them to Christ. That's what we do, church. That's the only reason why we're here on this earth still. My, 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 my wife just put her, put, put, put her uncle to rest. He's gone because he ran his race. He's done. And now he's, you know, with the Lord forever. But, but while you have breath in your lungs, make your life count. That's all I could think of when I was in that funeral. Not to make it about myself, but the Lord kept showing me and I kept reflecting like, Lord, I want my life to count. I want my life to be worth more than it is. I I want to do whatever it is that you call me to do for your honor, for your glory. I I want there to be a bounty of of goodness that was associated with what I did when I lived on this earth. And it doesn't have anything to do with numbers or this and that. It has to do with if you get right with God, man, that, that, that whole aura is going to flow off of you. <laughs> and you're going to be a blessing to people whether they want to receive it or not. Whether they want to receive it, that's on them and the Lord and between them and the Lord. But you want to be one that is sharing the love and the light of Christ. Amen.
It's important to pinpoint where we are because verse six clearly tells us, don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And we already know for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means we must daily moment to moment guard our hearts. But how do we do this? By being deliberate in what you and I view with our eyes and being deliberate about what we hear with our ears. We must be intentional in how we spend our time and in what we do. Are we following God's plan for our lives today? Or are we just doing our own thing and wanting God to bless it? That's something to consider. Okay. The third main point is this. Fearing God will help us make wise decisions all the days of our lives. I understand that no one is going to live a perfect life this side of heaven. Because we hear it taught all, said all the time, well, you know, nobody's perfect but Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the only one that's perfect. But, you know, we use that as an excuse many times. We use that in a, as an excuse to be lazy. We use that as an excuse to, to, to not be engaging the way we should. And you see, the fact that we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven is no excuse for us not wanting to mature in our walk with the Lord. When we come to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, somehow, supernaturally, through the intervention of God himself, we will grow in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This means when we are confronted with many challenges that we'll face in life, the fear of the Lord that we already possess will impart to us specific wisdom that we need for any and every situation we will ever face. Isn't that amazing? The question is, do you, do I truly actually fear God? You see, it's interesting. God bless you. It's interesting because some of the people, I won't say all, but some of the people that have, have, have climbed Mount Everest, they have no fear of heights. Yet they do not fear the God who created Mount Everest. <laughs> you see, a good barometer to measure if you have a healthy, holy fear of God is, again, to reflect on your lifestyle choices. Are you thoughtful of others? Are you considerate of those around you? Is your desire to bless the Lord and to bless others? Or are you self-seeking and only concerned about yourself and your own well-being? We talked, I mean, my wife was up here talking about the shoeboxes. Just simply engaging in that exercise is showing that you're thinking of other people. To be like, well, I'm not mature enough to do the shoebox or I can't do, you know, we'll put up the money. <laughs> the money's not an option. You know, it's a, it's a heart thing, right? Because it's time. You'll have to take time out of your day. And I suggest don't do it with the football game on. Turn the football game off. Turn the World Series off for a little bit, you know, and, and just get with your family and do it. But that but that simple act, it's, it's a sign of I'm considering other people. I'm trying to be a blessing to someone else outside of my own self. And it does so much for you. Do you scoff at no sex before marriage? Do you scoff at I can only have one wife or one husband? Do you scoff at I need to be honest and pay my taxes? I can't steal do you scoff at, at the fact that the Bible says don't use foul language? Don't live like the world? You see, if you fall into the latter category, 
you probably don't have a healthy, holy fear of God in your heart. You see, a self-help group, even a support group, and and I'm not going to name names. You guys know the things that are out there. They may help for a while with some kind of abuse that you, uh, you know, are trying to get off, you know. If you have a drinking problem or if you have, you know, some other whatever issue with, with something and you're trying to get it off of you, self-help groups, support groups will help for a while. But you see, over time, the fear of the Lord will completely destroy any habits that are not in line with God. This is because when you truly experience the fear of God, you will want to honor him and not engage in anything that grieves his heart. And that's something that a self-help group can't do for you. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, wisdom is all about making the right choices, church. Amen? All right. And it's quiet in here today. I can hear a pin drop. (laughs) You know I'm preaching because... You know, you don't got to yell and scream just because the preaching's good. If the preaching is convicting, then that's what I'm talking about because I know it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. All right, Ecclesiastes, we'll read the, just the, the main text again and then we'll, we'll begin to um, break down what these verses mean. It says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Okay, so we're going to take this bit by bit, and the first portion I see here is when you make a vow to God, don't delay in the pain. So first off, we've we got to start off with, we have to understand what a, a vow is uh, defined by the Bible. And that is a vow is a solemn promise made to God to perform or to abstain from performing a certain thing. Right? We, um, you know, a Nazarite vow with, with, um, with Samson. Don't cut your hair. He wasn't supposed to have no drink. Wasn't supposed to eat grapes. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with no women that were not of Israel, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and on and on. But the earliest mention of a vow is that of Jacob. Uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 18 through 22 says, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the time. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we see right there, a vow was made. This, this, this was Jacob speaking to the Lord. And again, he said, I, I will give you a tenth. I will give you a tenth. This is not even in my notes. It's a whole other thing. But, you know, the law of first fruits, the law of first fruits, it goes so far beyond material. Do you give God the first fruits of your time? Do you understand if you, if you start your day with the Lord you're setting up the trajectory for your day to be so much better than if you were to just roll out of bed, do your own thing and say, oh, I'll just wait to deal with God in the evening. No, 
get on your knees right when you get out of bed. If you got to wake up early, wake up 15 minutes early, get in prayer, get in the word of God, even a devotional, something. But start your day with giving God honor and glory. Give him the first fruits of your time. I guarantee you that your perspective, your perception, the things you experience are going to be so much better. You're going to be so more blessed than if you get into the San Jose Mercury News or get on your phone and check your apps and check your email and see what your boss wants. If you do that first, I'm already telling you right now, good luck. I'm starting my days on my knees because I know that this is true. It's an irrefutable spiritual law, and it has so much more to do with than money. It's not even about money. If you want to break it down, go back to the old days. It was more like 22%, not, not 10 So forget all that, you know, but you give what, what, what God puts on your heart. So you see, it is both honorable and wise to honor God and to keep your word to him. It would be better to vow than to vow and not pay. We first must understand that vows before God are serious business, church. We need to realize that sin is an offense to God. You see, many of us haven't even come to that place where we really understand that it's offensive, man. It is an offense to God. That's why when an impure thought comes in my mind, I immediately have to repent because I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to think that vile thought. I don't want I'm not. That's not me. I'm not a part of that. I'm not engaging in that. And I get right with God immediately because I realize that it's an offense to him. We should be like that, church. Until we understand the weight of our sin, we will treat sin as if it's okay. That's when you see some people and they're like, it's not a big deal. Bro, it's a big deal, homie. It's a big deal. Like, God ain't cool with that. Look at the state of our world. Look at the state of our country. Praise God for uh, uh, the gentleman who is the Republican that is the Speaker of the House now, that is, 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 is being bold in proclaiming where he stands. Praise God for that. So you see, there, 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 there's, there's, there, there's, there's little things here and there that you see in the light of Christ. But, but, but by and large, man, there's a lot of people that they don't take sin seriously. They think it's a joke and they think that they can just do whatever they want and dabble in whatever they want. And there's no consequences. And until we take sin as an offense to God seriously, we're going to treat sin like it's just a game. You see, it's not like flaking showing up at your company Christmas party. Like I get it. You said you're going to go. You didn't go. I mean, it's, it's, you know, whatever. But it's not that. God does not take broken vows lightly. A broken vow may actually incur his judgment upon all your endeavors. (laughs) You said you were going to do something. You didn't do it. Now it's like you wonder like why everything's falling apart. Well, think back. You broke your vow before the Lord. You think he's going to bless it? That's a hard lesson to have to learn. That's a hard lesson to have to pay. I mean, think of David and Bathsheba. You know, there was things that happened. He broke vows. Psalm chapter 15 verse 4 tells us, One who swears to his own hurt and does not change pleases God. So if you, if you make a vow but you keep that vow, man, you're pleasing to God. You're pleasing to him because he's like, I'm seeing what it's costing you. And, and, and you considered the cost and you're willing to ride it out. He's blessing you. His favor's upon you. His face is shining upon you. His, he's lifting you up with his countenance. He's keeping you. He's being gracious to you. God bless you. No, you, you put in the world, you apologizing for sneezing. Come on now. I ain't tripping off you, whatever. Your germs are in here. It's not a big deal. You ain't got, you ain't got to apologize. 
You see, a commonly overlooked sin among God's people is the sin of broken vows. We sometimes we just I don't know what the deal is. It's like the veil is covering our eyes of our hearts and we're not realizing like it's a big deal, man. Like the word of God says, it's better that you don't even make the vow <laughs> than make it and not come through. Promising things to God and failing to live up to the vow is a horrible thing. By contrast, those who honor God, one, will not be quick to make vows to God. So you're going to think about it. You can be like, man, let me, okay, I'm counting the cost. I'm, I'm not ready, Lord. And that's okay, you know, because you're like, I'm not ready. Lord, help me, help me to get ready so I can, you know, make this promise to you and keep it. Two, they will be serious about fulfilling the vows that they made. Like, it's not a joke. It's like, I'm going to live this out because, Lord, you've called me. You've impressed it upon my heart. I want to, I, I want to consecrate myself to you. Like, that's where we should be, church. Like, you should want to consecrate your life to God. You know, as a parent dedicates their child to God, you should want to dedicate your own life. What good is it for a parent to dedicate their, their child to God, but yet they're not dedicated to God themselves? That kind of doesn't make no sense. That's like the, what is it, the, the, the horse before the buggy or the carriage before the buggy? I don't know however that works. But you know what I mean? It's like, we should, you should. Man, I want to be all in for you. And then the kids will follow. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> the third thing is we will regard broken vows as sins to be confessed and to be repentant. We'll take it serious. We'll own it. A lot of times we don't want to own it because it hurts, because it's painful, because it's raw, it's real. But do you understand, church, that's where the heart of growth happens. That's where the heart of maturity happens is when you're able to be honest with God is when you're able to be honest with yourself. I, I get it. I know it's, it's painful. You know, we, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get into detail, but it's like, I'm in a, I'm in a good place with my wife. Now we're in a good place because there's had to be a lot of, uh, you know, looking circumspectly at my own life and saying, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at and being real. And a lot of times we avoid those real conversations because it's painful, but in order to grow, in order to mature, there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain. If you're just trying to do the easy breezy Christian life thing, man, you're never going to mature. You're never going to really understand the depth of, of the things that the Lord has for you, the depth of, 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 of the love and the, the depth of the relationships that he has you in, unless you start getting raw and start getting real. I'm sorry if this is too heavy, but I don't know any other way to preach but to preach like this. I don't. I really don't. I can't candy coat it. I don't can't. This is not a candy coating church, man. This is a real church, man. We up in here preaching Christ and what he says in his word, not just whatever people want to hear. I'm not here to tickle no ears. You see, an example of this is when a couple decides to get married and they have the option of creating their own vows or using the vows that the pastor or the priest sets before them. Now, the thing is that the couple's come before the Lord desiring that he bless their marriage, right? But they must understand that they are first and foremost making a vow to God himself. It's not even about the people. You see, we make it about us too much. It ain't about her pretty face and his handsome hair. <laughs> I barely even have any hair. <laughs> but you know, it's not even about them. It's about what's going on between them. And it's the Lord. 
An example of a traditional Protestant wedding vow. I blank take the blank to be my wedded husband, wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge thee my faith or pledge myself to. Do you see it? Do you see? I just read it. Do you see it? It's before God first. It's before the Lord first. That means if someone commits the physical act of adultery within their marriage, they are first committing the act of spiritual adultery against Yahweh before they commit the physical act against their spouse. Do you remember what David said to God in Psalm 51? He said, I've sinned against you and you alone. When he slept with Bathsheba, he said, I've sinned against you, Lord. It wasn't even about Uriah, even though he had Uriah killed. Even though he slept with, with Bathsheba, he committed the act against the Lord. We got to get this deep down in our heart of hearts, church, that we either do good to the Lord or we do bad against God. But it's against him mainly and first of all. That poor man who had that mental disorder in Maine and went around shooting 18 people and then took his own life and ended up in a dumpster wherever they found him in a, in a recycling receptacle or whatever. That poor man was sinning against God before he took those poor people's lives, those victims' lives. He was sinning against the Lord. He saw himself fit to play God and say, I'm going to take out this life. I'm going to take out that life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that with this gun because I'm, I, I got rifles. But he sinned against the Lord first. And then he sinned against those poor people. Think about when a witness takes a stand in a trial. The traditional oath is given. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So what? So help you God? You see, if the witness lies, they are bringing the judgment of God upon themselves. Secondly, a legal consequence if they get caught. But it's not even against the court. They're saying they're going to tell the truth before God. (laughs) And to not keep that vow and to lie on that stand it's horrible it's not a good look then there is ananias and sapphira many of us are familiar with this passage of scripture some of us are not the judgment that came upon their lives for choosing to lie to the holy spirit about what they actually sold and gave as an offering to the church the saddest thing about this account in the bible is they could have simply just said we sold this I kept, <laughs> I kept like 80% for myself <laughs> and I'm only giving this amount and the Lord would have been cool with it. <laughs> but the fact that they lied and said, I sold it all and I gave it all. That's where, again, it's like you're trying to deceive God. Acts chapter 5 verse 1 through 11 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And his wife's and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You see see right there. It comes back to your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. I mean, he died. (laughs) A great fear came upon 
all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He gave her a chance. He gave her a chance. He's trying to have mercy on her. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Man, that's a horrible example of what happens when you lie to God. Strike you dead. Strike you dead. And he was trying to be merciful to the wife and she was not wise. She was foolish and kept the lie up and she died as well. That's why I say, I don't want to know what you give. You give with the goodness of your heart between you and the Lord. Don't lie to him. Just give. I don't care if you give one dollar. I don't care if you give 200. (laughs) Just keep it between you and the Lord and be real about it. The application is this. The Lord hates when we lie. He hates it. The Bible says lying lips are an abomination to him. Satan is the father of lies. God wants us to be truthful and keep the vows we make to him. You see, church, if we cultivate a healthy, holy fear of God, we will not make foolish decisions. If Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira truly feared God, they would have never lied about the property in the first place. They would have just told the truth. They would have said, I I kept this much. I kept it. And they wouldn't have felt guilty about it. If you felt guilty about it, then I don't know, give it all or get right with the Lord. Something needs to happen in your heart. You see, church, wisdom is to know what we are supposed to do in the spirit when all the circumstances of life come rushing at us from every angle. The wisdom that God gives to those who seek him will give us the ability to choose correctly. Think about this because it goes back to our thought life and whether or not we take authority over every thought to make them submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, we've been created with a free will. We're not robots. We can decide what we will and what we will not do. We can choose whether to receive a thought or to reject it. But even though we have free will, many times we can choose wrong. The question is this. Do you simply allow every and any thought that pops into your mind to just take up space? Or do you question? Do you examine? Do you rebuke every thought that is not aligned with Jesus Christ? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your, hopeful, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, he tells us right there what we're supposed to do. He tells us what to do. When we wake up in the morning, what do we do? Do we prepare our minds daily for everything that we're going to face? Are we sober-minded when we wake up, not letting anything else in but the glorious things that are found in the riches of Jesus Christ? Who or what is our hope, church? Is it completely fully set upon the grace that will be given to us by the revelation of Jesus Christ? If it is, we will walk in the newness of life, which is actually Christ himself. We will walk in Christ with Christ, for Christ. 
it's it, it's 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 kind of too much for my brain to comprehend. I kind of you know what I mean. But but that is the reality. Supernaturally, it'll happen. He'll impart this revelation and this truth to us, and we'll walk hand in hand with the Lord in this life. If we keep our vows and guard our mouths and fear God, this is what will happen. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom will help you and I to come out of agreement with thought patterns from the realm of darkness. And align our thinking and meditate on thoughts that are from the realm of light. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us this clearly. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He tells us it's an engagement, church. We have to be so engaged in our thought process, in the way that we think, in what we kick out, and what we rebuke, and what we bring in. But if you're just on autopilot, man, you're going to be all over the place. You're not going to have no victory. You want to be strong in Christ. You want to be strong in your inner man and your inner woman to the point where you're like, you can spot a fake. You can see the deception. You can see the truth. You align yourself with the truth and you get as clear away from the deception as possible. Do you see why it is so vital that you study God's word daily? This is why you got to be in the word, man. This is why you got to be in the word because me up here ain't cutting it for you. I'm going to tell you that right now. I ain't cutting it for you. I'm not. You got to do this on your own. Every day the children of Israel had to get their own manna. If they didn't get that manna, it would worm up and rot. One day, one meal. You got me one day a week. You better get up and get your own manna tomorrow. You better get it Tuesday. You better get it Wednesday. Well, for the women, you got, you know, you got your prayer group and your study group, but you still got to get your own manna. Men, we got that Thursday night, but, but you ain't, you're getting tidbits there. You got to get up every day and get your own manna, church. You have to. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance everything you need for every situation you're ever in. But you see, if you're not meditating, if I'm not meditating on the word of God daily, then what reference point does the Holy Spirit actually have? He's only going to bring to remembrance what's in there. If the word of God ain't in there, there's nothing for him to bring remembrance to. You got to be poor. You got to, I mean, you got to gorge on the word so that he's bringing to remembrance. Boom, 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 boom. Every situation, man. But you see, if I'm, if I'm meditating on property brothers, the voice CNN, ESPN, video games, worldly music, then, then I'm not going to have godly wisdom for every circumstance that I'm going to face. Instead, I'm going to be a, a lethargic Christian because my, my, my spirit is malnourished. And that's such a shame, church, because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you know that's who you are? In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. We have to stop looking at ourselves as, oh, I'm so weak and I'm so beat up and da, da, da. No, man, you are a soldier in God's army. You are a champion in Christ. But how are you going to know that unless you're in the word? The word will tell you this. We got to come out of our identity in the world, say no to that, and say yes to the identity that we have in Christ Jesus, who tells us that we're more than conquerors. See, it's there for you. It's there for me. You have to grab it. I can't make you grab it. It's like my kids. I can't make them grab it. 
I want them to grab it. I want them so bad to grab it. The friends that I have that aren't saved, that are struggling, I want them so bad to grab it, but they have to grab it for themselves. You can't force anybody to. It is of vital importance for our spiritual lives that we are filled with the knowledge of his truth about who we are in Christ Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church. Please don't miss this church because this is so rich. I don't even care about time. I'm so past time. And by the way, it's only 1154, 53. We're fine. (laughs) But I'm so past time. You know, time is such a relative thing. It's like, if the Lord is going, the Lord is going. All right, look at this. Don't miss this, please. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This is so for you, church. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My goodness, that's so rich. That is for you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be strengthened. He wants you to be full of life in Christ and not be a victim. He wants you to be a conqueror, be who you are in Christ. Next, we see don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin nor say that it was an error. It's extremely important for God's people to see failure to keep vows as a serious matter. It's a big deal. Great effort should be put into keeping vows and and not and we shouldn't regard failure as just oh it's simply an error. Oh, it's just a boo-boo. No, it's like man, I grieve over the fact that I do wrong. I grieve when 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 things between me and my kids ain't right and I've done wrong cuz I've lashed out cuz you know I get a temper. I'm grieved by it, man. And I go to my kids. I've gone to my kids. Man, since they, I mean, they weren't infants. I wasn't yelling at an infant. But you, you know what I'm saying? As, as, as you know, they've gotten older. Tears are going to be four right now. I mean, there's times with my son a lot. And, and, and I, gotta, I humble myself because I'm, I'm like, man, I don't want that. I don't want that to be our interaction. And, and there's something to be said about a grown man being willing to, to humble them, themselves and, and apologize to a child. It's going to set that child up for the right trajectory. But if you're so bold and I'm prideful and no, I'm the dad. And no, it's like, man, that child's going to grow up with, with a, with a, with a poor understanding of what it is to be humble. Many times we need to take emotion out of it. Like I said earlier, and we must simply will ourselves to do the right thing. The will is a, is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It's how you use your will that God gave you. You see, when temptation, our flesh and Satan are all coming at us at once, it's not a matter of how we feel emotionally. It's about knowing the right thing to do and executing it and choosing the right thing to do. Once again, wisdom plays a huge role in this. The last portion, and I won't spend too long on this, is fear God. Simply put, if we truly fear God, we will fear nothing else. If we fear God, we won't fear Satan. If you're in here today and you fear Satan, you need to get a healthy fear of God. I don't fear Satan. You shouldn't fear Satan. You shouldn't fear any demonic activity because you have authority over all of them. You see, if we fear Satan, we actually don't really fear God. Here's why. 
Isaiah chapter 41 is dedicated to encouraging the people of Israel to not fear because God is with them. We as Christians also need to apply this to our daily lives. If you ever fear, feel fearful when you do, you need to read this, this portion of Isaiah chapter 41. All right. Uh, verse 10 through 13, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. I don't know who's in here today, but that's a word for somebody today. That's a word for somebody for real. You don't need to fear. You need to know that God goes before you. He's fighting for you. He's battling for you. No one or nothing can pluck you out of his hand and you don't have to have fear. You don't need to be subjecting yourself to that unclean spirit of fear. You need to shake that unclean spirit of fear off of you and walk in the newness and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. The application is, this is a command to and a promise. Israel is commanded to fear not. We as Gentiles in Jesus Christ are told to fear not. You see, fear, worry, and anxiety are often sin. God tells us to fear not. We must take this seriously. But there's also a promise. We who fear not, we fear not because the Lord has told us that he's with us. What more do you and I actually need? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says. Just think about it. How much more prone to fear and discouragement are we when we're alone? But we're not alone. We're never alone because God has declared, fear not, I am with you. Um, Isaiah and Michelle can come up because I'm about to end right now. J.B. Phillips wrote a book titled, Your God is Too Small. In it, he showed how when people forget the greatness of God, they easily become dismayed. They easily become discouraged. Like if you look at the headlines today, I was telling Mark and, and Daniel earlier, like I was looking at my feed and it was like, man, all this pro-Palestinian stuff. And, and there's a disclaimer. I'm going to just put it out there. No, I'm praying for, for, for Palestinians that want to get saved. I also believe Israel has to use excessive force because if they don't use excessive force, they're not going to get rid of Hamas. And if you actually do the timeline and do the study... Um, the, the, the Palestine is named Palestine because they're directly connected to the Philistines. And it says back in Numbers, if Israel, if you don't eradicate these people out of this land, they're going to be a thorn in your side forever. And we're seeing it play out right now. Not saying every Palestinian, I'm saying those ones that they have in the Constitution, in the Hamas Constitution, they say that we're vowed to kill all Israel, get them off the map. That's in their Constitution, man. If you read about that stuff and you learn about it, you understand it's crazy. It's no joke. So my whole thing, again, is that when, when, when people become dismayed, it be, they, kept, they, they become discouraged because their God is too small. The Bible says, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's strength and glory make him able to help us. But it is his love that makes him say he will help you. Once again, this is all tied in to our vows that we keep before the Lord. If you and I fear him and nothing else, we will make every wise decision. We will watch our tongues and we will keep our vows. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that, Lord, you're, you're, you do a, might and, a mighty and great work. 
You do it every day and you're doing it now in our midst. Father, help us to be ones that have a holy, healthy fear of you, that we would walk in newness of life, that we would walk in humility and that we would not be discouraged, that we would not be dismayed, but we would be courageous and that we would we would think about what we say before it comes out our mouths, that we would check our hearts before we are allowed to speak. Lord, that we would look to you and that we would make vows that make sense, that we wouldn't we wouldn't promise things to you that we know we're not capable of doing. But if we look to honor you, you're going to lead us in the path of righteousness all the days of our lives. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. May your name be blessed forever and ever for eternity. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.